Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host Lars and today you are listening to Deadly Obsession. I do want to start off by saying I am so sorry if I mispronounce anything in this episode. I am going to try the best that I can. Today we are going to be talking about the co-ed killer. His full name is Edmund Emil Kemper III or better known as Ed Kemper. He is known for being six foot nine. He loved to decapitate his victims' heads, performing sexual acts with their heads, talking to the heads, and performing participating in necrophilia, which is having sex with dead bodies. One of his famous quotes is, One side of me says, I'd like to talk to her and date her. The other side of me says, I wonder what her head would look like on a stick. So I do want to give a bit of a disclaimer to let you know that today's episode will be mentioning suicide, rape, decapitation, necrophilia, and dismembering. If any of this triggers you, please listen to something else. For the rest of you, let's get into it. On December 18, 1948, Ed Kemper was born into an extremely dysfunctional home. His mother had undiagnosed bipolar disorder. She was not the best mother. She would constantly make Ed's dad her punching bag for all of her anger and aggression. This caused a lot of problems in their marriage to the point where Ed's father would do anything and everything to get away from Ed's mother because he could not stand her. And I partially blame Ed's mother for the way that he is and why he became a serial killer because she famously said that she refused to coddle her son because she was scared that it'd make him gay. And that's probably why he is the way that he is and why he ended up killing her later on in life. So I think she should have been focused more on him not becoming a serial killer, but who knows, right? So if you take a look at Ed's childhood, you could tell that he was never a normal kid. He liked to play games like electric chair and gas chamber, which he would make his sisters play with him and they would blindfold Ed and Ed would pretend to get electrocuted or get put into a gas chamber and he would act out in like these big great scenes of him dying. He also would take his sister's dolls and decapitate their heads and cut off their hands. And in an interview, he said that he would get sexual gratification when doing so. He also later admitted that he had fantasies about killing and decapitating his own mother since a, since a very young age. So, I just think Ed was kind of always like this, to be honest. Well, in 1957, Ed's father had had enough of Ed's mother, so he had decided to leave the family once and for all, and he had left Ed there with his mother. At the age of 10, which is when Ed's father had left, he was so angry and so hurt that he went and decided to act on his fantasies by taking his family's cats, there was two of them, and he took one of the cats that was alive and buried it while it was alive, dug it up, and then decided to to decapitate its head. The other cat was cut into tiny pieces with a machete. He then took the body parts and hid it in a closet in the home up until his mother had found it. And when she found these, these body parts, she had made Ed sleep in the basement because she was scared that Ed would hurt her or his siblings. He had two sisters. Now, 
Ed's mother needed a new punching bag since Ed's father had left, so she would constantly sit there and insult Ed for a long time. And like I said, she would just sit there and emotionally abuse Ed to the point where at the age of 14, he got so tired of his mother that he went and ran away and had decided to go live with his father. Now, I don't think Ed knew that his father went and got remarried and started a whole new family. Ed's father did not want anything to do with Ed when Ed showed up, so he did what I think most fathers would do in this situation and sent him off to go live with his grandparents on the farm, which this was just a huge mistake in my opinion because he started killing at the age of 15 and he lived with his grandparents at the age of 14, so you know, those were his first victims. He could not stand his grandmother whatsoever because she always thought that she had bigger balls than any other man out there, which is a direct quote from Ed himself in an interview, and he just absolutely hated it when a woman did not know her place, I guess, is a way to describe it, and it just really pissed him off. He could not stand it when there was a strong woman above a man, so that's why... At the ripe age of 15, he started his killing spree. So, at the age of 15, you know that Ed started his killing spree, and his grandparents were his first victims, and you're probably thinking, what the hell happened? What the hell did they do to make him so angry? And why the hell did he do it? Well, Ed knew how to shoot a gun at 15, and on August 27th, 1964, him and his grandmother got into such a huge argument, and it pissed him off, and it just made him so angry to the point where he had decided to go grab his grandfather's gun and to go shoot his grandmother, who was sitting at the kitchen table, in the head. Now, later on in an interview, Ed had later confessed that he just wanted to see what it felt like to shoot grandma. Those exact words. So, Ed's thought process was, well, I don't want my grandfather to see what I did, what I just did to my grandmother. So, he waits until his grandfather walks up the driveway. He goes outside with his grandfather's gun and he shoots his grandfather. Now, after he shoots his grandfather, he then tries to hide the body because he is scared. He's 15. He's freaking out. He's probably being like, what the hell did I just do? And like most 15 year olds, he called up his mother and he confessed to everything that he had just done. Now, Ed's mother told him to call the cops and to tell them exactly what she, what he had told her, and that's exactly what Ed did. So the cops show up, they investigate the crime scene, and Ed is arrested. Ed is later sent to a criminally insane unit where he has a bunch of tests done. His IQ was tested, and it came back at a 145, so Ed was pretty intelligent. He also was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. He then proceeded to spend the next six years of his life in the criminally insane unit up until his 21st birthday when he was released. However, even though he was released, he still had his grandpa, his grandparents' murders on his record, so that would still show up. So, while Ed was at the criminally insane unit, his doctors did not want Ed to live with his mother at all because she is emotionally abusive, and they just knew that it would just be a ticking time bomb for Ed. However, he did decide to go live with his mother against his doctor's orders after getting released. So, Ed 
when he first gets out, he starts to think about what he wants to do with his life. He goes and applies to become a state trooper, and they didn't deny him because he killed his grandparents. They denied him because he was, quote, too big. And mind you, Ed was 6'9 and around 300 pounds when he was arrested. So he is not a small, a small person. He's pretty huge. So, in 1971, he started working for the Department of Transportation, and this is extremely important when you are viewing his cases, because while Ed is sitting here and working for the Department of Transportation, he started picking up hitchhikers, mainly women, and you're probably thinking, well, why the hell does this matter? Well, Ed was so socially awkward when it came to women. He didn't know how to talk to women, and he later admitted that he never thought that he would ever have sex with a woman because he's just so weird. And this all stems from his mother constantly telling him that no woman would ever be with Ed and no woman would never want to be with him because he's just so awful and so gross. And this had made such a huge impact on Ed, which is probably why he ended up killing women, to be honest, because of his mother. Another thing to mention that will become extremely important when renewing his cases is that Ed would hang around this bar all the time. And this is a special bar because it was infamous for having cops go there. There were constantly cops going in and out of this bar and Ed started to get really friendly with these cops to the point where they nicknamed him Big Ed. Not only did they nickname him, but they would give him training school, a training school badge, a set of handcuffs, and another cop had allowed him to borrow a, a gun from him. Keep in mind, he is a convicted villain because he killed his grandparents, and yet these cops are acting as if it's no big deal. So, while Ed started working for the Department of Transportation, he would pick up women hitchhikers, and he started to work on his communication skills. And you're probably thinking, why the hell would he need to work on his communication skills? Well, he needed to understand what made women feel uncomfortable, what made women feel uncomfortable, how to put them at ease, how to make them feel trusting towards Ed, and kind of in a way manipulate them into thinking that he was a safe person to be around. However, working for the Department of Transportation did not end well because he ended up getting hit by a motorcycle and got so injured that he was not able to work anymore. He did get a settlement of $15,000, which was quite a lot of money back then. So he goes and buys an apartment with this money, and you're probably thinking, what the hell did Ed Kemper do with this $15,000 settlement money? Well, he bought a killer's kid. At least, I think that's what it's called, but basically a killer's kit is a kit that a killer needs to commit a crime anywhere and any, at any time, any day, at any time, any day, anywhere. So his killer's kit consisted of tools that he could need, a gun, a knife, handcuffs, and other things that he possibly would end up using when killing a woman. So, if we take a look, he has communication, he has a killer's kit, he's friends with cops, and his vehicle looks like a cop cruiser, which I think these are all just red flags. Now, in an interview, Ed had said that he had picked up over a thousand women and 
had let over a thousand women leave his grip. So, you know, Ed's sitting there, he's testing the waters, and he's like, ooh, I have this woman in my vehicle, I have this woman in my vehicle, and I could kill them at any time. I could. So, he started kind of testing his urges to see how strong Ed was. However, he could not wait any longer because he does end up killing again. So, Ed's sitting there trying to test the waters while also keeping his urges under control. However, he could not do it for very long because on May 7th, 1972, Ed had decided to kill again. So, Ed picks up two women hitchhikers by the name of Mary Ann and Anita Luchessa. He picks up these women and his first initial thing was to rape these women. So... He goes into the wooded area, and because he's a paranoid schizophrenic, things don't turn out the way that he originally planned. He asks Mary Ann to come out of the vehicle and to help him with something, so she does. And after he had got her away from Anita, Anita was still in the vehicle, he decided to stab and choke her to death. So he kills he kills Mary Ann, and then he goes back to the vehicle, and he looks at Anita, and he goes, Your friend was getting smart with me, so I punched her in the face. I need you to come out here and help me because she is bleeding. Anita walks out, and he goes up behind her, and he starts to, she starts to struggle, right? And he's trying to stab her. And he stabs her. And in an interview, Ed had said that Anita is the victim that fought back the hardest. And that even though that he had stabbed her, she was still fighting for her life. And that he was the most difficult to kill. And that he had intrigued her. That is what he said in one of his interviews. So, he ends up killing Anita. And then he takes the girls. He puts their bodies in the back of the trunk. And he starts to drive to his apartment. On the way to his apartment, he gets pulled over by a cop. And you're probably wondering, well, shit, is this where it ends? And I'm sad to say, no, it's not. There are six other, there are six other victims after these two women. So, he gets pulled over for a broken taillight. And the cops do not search his vehicle. And Ed is let go. So, he proceeds to go back to his apartment he wraps the girls' bodies up to a blanket. Mind you, there are many people going in and out of that apartment, and everyone knew that they were he was doing something suspicious, and yet nobody did anything about it. So, he brings their bodies up into his apartment to decapitate them and to dismember their bodies. He decapitates their heads like just like he did with his sister's dolls and cuts off their hands he had sex with their dead bodies which is necrophilia he then proceeded to do sexual acts with their heads amongst other things like talking to the heads he then decided to get rid of the bodies and on august 15th they only found mary ann's body anita's body has not been found till this day I don't know if it's because Ed didn't, didn't want to give it up, or maybe he did something weird with her body. Maybe he didn't bury them together. I don't know. I couldn't find anything online about it. So, all I know is that Anita did not get to 
lay to rest, you know, like her family wouldn't hurt to have. Sadly, these two women lost their lives at the age of 18 years old. So, after Ed had killed Mary Ann and Anita, he had satisfied his urge to kill for a little bit longer that year, up until August 27th, where he was driving along and he saw 15-year-old Anika Koo waiting at the bus stop to go to her dance class. He pulls up and he asks her if she needs a ride and they exchange conversation and eventually she gets into the vehicle. He then proceeds to drive to a secluded area. He goes and chokes her. He then proceeds to rape her and then he kills her. Now, when I was doing research on this killing, I could not find that much information online, which I'm kind of thankful for because just reading this brought tears to my eyes. It was really hard for me to read. Um, after killing Aniko, he then put her body into his trunk of his car. He then went to the bar with all of his cop friends and started drinking. Later on in an interview, he had said it's because he wanted an extra thrill. And what's an extra thrill when you're sitting there and you have a dead 15-year-old in the back of your trunk and you're sitting there having a drink with your cop friends? And no one knew. No one knew at all what was going on or the true monster that Ed Kemper is. After hanging out with these cops... He then took 15-year-old Aniko's body, dismembered it, and got rid of her body. I don't know if he ended up having sex with her head or not. He probably did. But what he just did to her was so awful. So, after Ed had killed 15-year-old Anika Koo, he started to run out of his settlement money, which means that he needed a place to live, because he couldn't afford an apartment anymore. So, Ed moves back in with his mother, they're bickering, they're arguing, she's insulting him, she's emotionally abusing him, and he starts to build up all of this anger and frustration again. And instead of taking it out on his mother, he had decided to take it out on another woman. And sadly, all of this frustration would be the reason as to why he had decided to kill her. So, on January 8th, 1973, Ed had picked up Cynthia Ann Shell. She was hitchhiking. He went and took her to a secluded area once again, but this time he had changed his M.O. and had decided to shoot Aunt Cynthia in the head, and it killed her. He then decided to bring her body back to his mother's house. After bringing her body back to his mother's house, he went and hid, his bo- hid her body in his room up until the next morning after his mother had left. He then decided to take her body, put it in the bathtub to dismember her. He got rid of everything except for her head. Um, I'm just going to tell you what he does with this head is pretty disgusting and it might leave your jaw on the floor. So, he keeps the head for like three days. He's performing sexual acts with the head and he, of, of course, is sitting there talking to this head, screaming at it, kind of as if he would wish he could do to his mother. Well, his paranoia, his paranoia starts to kick in by the end of the third day so Ed had decided to bury the head and you're probably thinking well that's not weird 
Well, he decides to bury the head outside his out in his mother's garden, which so happened to face his mother's bedroom window. And he buries the head, and he buries it facing his mother's window, where it's looking up at the window. And you're probably thinking, why the hell would he do that? Well, in an interview, he said it was because she always wanted someone to look up to her. So, he chose a woman who was like his mother, and did so. Now, I have read several articles where his mother was kind of a very independent, outspoken woman for her time, and she was not scared to put a man in his place, and I think that's why Ed kind of also hated his mother, along with all the emotional abuse that he went through with her, but I think that's the reason why he started killing co-eds, if that makes sense, because she was a administrator for a co-ed. Why not, right? So, Ed takes a little bit of a break from killing after he had killed Cynthia and Shao. Up until February 5th, 1973, after Ed and his mother had gotten into such a heated argument that it had left him seething with anger. He had gotten into his cop cruiser lookalike car and had started to patrol for his next victims. Ed picked up Rosalind Thorpe. And then he later on picked up Alice, um, I can't pronounce her last name, but it is spelled L-I-U, I'm so sorry. And after picking these women up, he had decided to turn around and to shoot both of these women in the head. Now this isn't the strangest thing that he had done. He then proceeded to drive to his mother's house. He pulls up into the driveway and he opens up the back of his trunk where the two women's dead bodies were. And he decapitates their heads right there in front of everyone mind you he has neighbors home they know he knows that they're home because they have their lights on his mother is home and at any moment a car could pass by and see what he is doing and it is all over for ed now for some weird reason it all worked out in his favor and he did not get caught but he then proceeded to get their bodies brought them inside and He examines the bodies, and he even takes the bullets out of their skulls from where he shot them, and he starts to kind of figure out the anatomy, if that makes sense, and he just kind of dissects the women before having sex with their bodies, having sex with their heads, screaming at their bodies and their heads, then dismembering the bodies, putting them into bags, and... I'm pretty sure he throws their their bodies off of their body parts off of a cliff. I'm not too sure if it was them, but he does end up getting rid of the bodies. Now this these two women were the kills before he ends up killing his mother and her best friend. And they happened kind of shortly after one another, if that makes sense. So on April 20th, 1973, Ed and his mother had gotten into such an explosive fight that this would be their last fight ever. She was yelling at Ed, blaming him for the fact that she hasn't had sex with a man in years because nobody wants to be with a woman who had a murderous son. 
Ed had gotten so fed up with his mother and refused to talk to her like she had proposed that he waited up until she was sleeping to kill his mom. He grabbed a claw hammer to bludgeon her to death. He then proceeded to slit her throat. He decapitated his mother's head. He then proceeded to have sex with her head. He had sex with her dead body. He used her head as a dartboard. He put her head on the mantle for display. He then proceeded to cut her tongue out and her throat out. He took her tongue and throat and shoved it down the garbage disposal disposal and turned it on so that way his mother could never scream or yell at him ever again telling him that he was such a disappointment and how much she hated him before leaving the house he had decided to have sex with her dead body he then started to panic because he knew that they would know that it was ed because they knew that ed killed his grandparents so ed decides to head to the bar with all of his cop friends and he starts drinking with them and he's like oh shit I have a plan. And you might be thinking, what kind of plan? Well, he decides to go back home and he calls up his mother's friend, Taylor Sally Hallett, and he tells her that he wanted to throw a surprise Easter dinner for his mother and that he wanted her to come over for a dinner and a movie. So she agrees. He cleans up the area where his mother was so that way she wouldn't see the dead body. As soon as she is in the house, he strangles her to death and kills her. Now, what he does next is very crucial. He writes a note to the police and puts it on the table. He then gets into his vehicle and he leaves. It wasn't until April 23rd when he had realized that nobody was talking about his mother or her best friend's death that he started to think that was weird. And Ed had a moment where he was like, well, I just killed my mother and I know that I'm dangerous and I know that if I am out on the streets and I don't turn myself in now, more women are going to die because of my mother. And I had just took care of the problem, so I should just turn myself in. And that's exactly what Ed does. He goes to a payphone and he calls the police. And he tells the police about everything that he had just done. And he confessed to killing his mother. Now, because the police are friends with Ed and know him as Big Ed, they were laughing it up and did not believe Ed whatsoever. Up until the point where he started mentioning things about the co-ed kills, killings that only the killer would know. They, did, they then decided to take Ed seriously. They go to his mother's house and what they walk into is a horrible, gruesome scene with blood everywhere, his mother laying on the floor with a decapitated head, his mother's friend in the room. They then decided to arrest him for nine uh, counts of first degree murder. So that's what he is originally charged with. And there is a famous picture out, picture out there of Ed in the back of the cop car with one of his cop friends smoking a cigarette and laughing it up and you can just tell that it's not like they're talking to Dahmer or they're talking to Bundy no they're talking to like one of their friends that had just committed an awful crime to his mother and they're just chit-chatting up like it was a normal day at the bar so they take Ed in they question him and they link him to another body 
that was not his. They, like I said, they charged him with nine counts of first-degree murder at first, and it's because at the time that Ed was an active serial killer, there were two other active serial killers in California, too. And they had mistaken one of the other serial killer's victims for one of Ed's. So, later on, Ed had started pleading with the police to give him the death penalty. That's all he wanted. However, they could not do that because the death penalty was not a thing in California at the time. So, he goes to trial and he gets convicted of eight degrees of first degree murder. So, he gets convicted and his sentencing is, he, his sentencing is seven consecutive life sentences. While in prison, Ed had tried to kill himself twice. However, he did not succeed, clearly. And at the beginning of him staying in prison, he was getting a lot of interview opportunities. You know, that's just a normal thing for serial killers. They... All these news networks are reaching out and asking for his side of the story. And Ed was infamous because he accepted a lot of these offers. And he would tell them about his hatred towards his mother and how he couldn't stand women who were like her. And his mother was so abusive towards him. And he hated his mother one minute and he loved her the next. And why he did what he did to those women. And I was watching an interview and he just blatantly said... I blame my mother for killing those women because if she hadn't had raised her son the way that she did, those women would not have been murdered. And I I agree with him, honestly, because his mother was a shitty mom. So he's sitting there, he's doing these interviews, and he meets up with the FBI. The FBI start interviewing him, and they try to figure out why serial killers do what he what they do or why Ed decided to do what he did. Now you're probably thinking, well, where the hell is Ed now? Ed is currently 70, 72 years old and he is still serving his sentences. He's still alive and he is described as a model prisoner, which is not crazy because if you think about it, a lot of sociopaths or people who have high IQs know how to manipulate people into thinking that he has been rehabilitated and ed has done it before that's the only reason why he got out after his grandparents murders truth be told if they would have never let him go this never would have happened and ultimately if his mother would not have treated ed the way that she did who knows how he would have turned out all the signs of ed being a serial killer were there from the beginning That concludes episode one of the Deadly Obsession podcast with your host, Lars. I appreciate it so much that you guys took time out of your day to listen to me talk about a six foot nine, 300 pound serial killer, also known as the co-ed killer. I do appreciate it, you guys, so very much. The next episode, I think I'm going to do Mary Bell, so tune into that. She is one of the world's youngest serial killers. If you guys have any requests, do not be afraid to send them in, and I will try to get back to you as soon as I can. 
Um, I am going to be trying to put out an episode or two, more or less, depending on how much time I have each week to keep you guys entertained. Thank you all so very much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye!